Today on the Marshall Pro Podcast, we are taking a mighty fine look at the 2020 edition, a delayed edition, but a fine edition, hopefully the 24 hours of Le Mans. This is going to be a show that concludes with your questions, but opens with a bit of prognostication by our man, my co-driver. He's always my endurance driver, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Also a name and a voice you've certainly heard and will continue to hear throughout this beautiful week of Lamar activity. Television, radio, uh, I think he might be singing in the park, doing Shakespeare, all kinds of beautiful stuff. Graham Goodwin, how are you, my friend, as you get ready to drive south to Circuit de la Sar? Uh, we're good. There's still a lot still to be done, lots of uh, feature writing and preview writing if we get to that point um awful lot of preparation for the tv crew uh, this year we've got a few new faces on the aco tv crew this year we'll get into that with a couple of questions later but i think i'm looking forward to it um at some point we're going to get beyond all the the fact that it's going to feel a bit strange it's going to feel a bit weird it's going to be a lot more empty and we're going to get to the stage where the flag will drop and the BS will stop and we will have the 2020 Le Mans 24 hours. And on that front, at least that degree of normality, I think we can be thankful for. Lot of ground to cover in the meantime, though, MP. Um, uh, but what we do have is uh, an entry in some depth uh, in at least two of the classes and a, a viable entry in the other two. Would have to believe that our listeners are mostly aware, if not fully aware, of who is and is not on the entry list. So I'm mm. not sure that we need to just do the perfunctory read through who and what is no, there. No. So why don't we get started with a look in LMP1 as we say thank you as always to the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting all that we do here. Cooper Tires and certainly Bell Racing Helmets USA as well. LMP1, massive hybrid grid, right? Did I did I get the entry correct, or it's, did I get it backwards again? Well, they're massive uh, in terms of the power output, but no, sadly, uh, not, not big numbers. It'll be a five-car LMP1 grid with the late withdrawal of the Team LNT Ginetta. One, only one of those cars uh, was initially listed. That's been withdrawn with uh, Ginetta explaining principal reason behind it covid related that relates directly to uh, the fact that the majority of their race crew are employed by Ginetta on the factory floor uh, building maintaining servicing their core products which are the effectively club and national level uh, gt type cars and because of the current government controls uh, we have in the UK, whilst there are some exemptions for motorsport professionals uh, to attend events, that doesn't cover them for effectively a day job. And that means that those guys would eff- effectively, with the preparation that we need to go into Le Mans, with Le Mans itself, and then with quarantine afterwards, they would lose them for effectively just under a month. Uh, and that, unfortunately, after three months of lockdown, uh, has proven it seems to be a step too far. So sadly, we've lost a Ginetta. It leaves us with five. Um, I'll sort of do it in, let's call it reverse order, by Collis. Put up, actually, a pretty good uh, show at Spa, their first race for quite some time. Uh, so 
reasonable hope that we can we can see some quality lappery from the Gibson engined Austrian flag German based Romanian owned um, <laughs> fun factory um, Tom Dillman uh, Ollie Webb familiar faces in that squad uh, but then Bruno Spengler the world's most German Canadian um, is the addition to that squad it'll be his Le Mans debut it'll be his LMP1 uh, debut at Le Mans as well of course uh, he was part of that squad in Spa and let's wait and see there uh, they're going to be looking just to get to the finish it's something they've not done reliably uh, at all in the past in the many years they've been racing with their current car not forget though they did the, that team did with Audi factory support but in one of the best ever I think runs at Le Mans with a two-man crew after uh, one of the uh, the three drivers fell off the pit wall on the way to the grid and dislocated his shoulder. Uh, that was Andre, Andre Lotterer's coming out party, wasn't it? And let's hope that Bicolas can actually put spars on faces. That's that's the first car. Then we get to two serious players, the Rebellion cars, uh, numbers one and number three. Number one is, of course, the uh, full-season car, MP. And that car has, with the help of some of the success... Uh, handicapping uh, won races this season in the FIWEC. We're not going to have success handicapping this year, uh, but we have gone back to the initial uh, equivalency of equivalence of technology. What does that mean? It means that the rebellions, and for that matter, the Bicolas will run significantly lighter than the two Toyotas, something like 80 kilos lighter than the two Toyotas. Um, and the other adjustment that's actually been made is uh, the old advantage, which none of us watching and certainly our listeners on the weekend sports cars couldn't really understand, that gave effectively the uh, Toyotas a lap advantage in every fuel stop. That's gone. So fuel, fueling time um, and distance will be more or less equalized there might be a, a nip or a tuck here and there but it certainly won't be uh, a big advantage and we know now that that rebellion is not only fast uh, but also remarkably reliable uh, of late can't get away though from the fact that uh, the advantage is going to be very much with the totas but just to recognize by the way we've got in the number three car this is a car that only appeared at silverstone at the beginning of this season natalia berton louis delatraz um uh is going to be uh, aboard that car that's the is another second generation Le Mans racer his father jean denis an ex-formula one racer and roman dumas um double winner at the Le Mans 24 Hours, two different factory teams and uh, FI world champion, all-round, old-fashioned sort of racing driver, fast in anything. And in the number one car with Gustavo Menezes, the first FI champion for 35 years when he won Olympia 2 a few years ago. Norman Nato, uh, the only racing driver named after the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And Bruno, nephew of Ayrton Senna, who was massively impressive on his way to uh, an LMP2 championship. They're going to bring something to this. Can they, uh, over 24 hours, take the uh, the fight to the totus? Probably not, and we'll come to why in a moment or two. But I think it's going to be quite interesting qualifying, and I think it's going to be interesting in the first phase of this race. After that, it comes down to who goes clean. Finally, though, without a shadow of a doubt, the smash hit 
um, favourites for this race are the two Toyota TSO 50 hybrids. It's the last Le Mans for uh, the LMP1 hybrids. We uh, we'll get into questions as to why it's not the last Le Mans for LMP1 car, but the last one for the hybrids. And time to mark what a privilege it's been to be part of that era. You've seen them. I vividly remember MP. Um, your response to having seen at the peak of the powers of these cars, uh, you joined us at uh, Silverstone and we sent you off out there to Beckett's and you came back mouth wide open about the capabilities, uh, the speed, the punch, the acceleration, the aerodynamics of these cars. Uh, you came back and you were blown away, weren't you? Oh, completely. But I mean, having seen the hybrids uh, for a couple of years before that as well was already impressed but getting a chance to see them through that complex uh that was that was just pure magic pure height uh just very simply the height of awesomeness here so yeah at the same time uh hoping that we get back to this at some point in time of the future where the performance just leaves everyone with their mouth completely agape yeah so the days of thousand horsepower and thousand horsepower plus lmp1s are soon to be numbered one more race uh, for them after the le mans 24 hours so it comes down to if it's going to be a toyota if they have a clean race uh, and by the way, why are they going to be so much favoured? We're expecting a fair degree of wet conditions, something like 30 degrees leading up to the race, but a fair amount of rain at the moment forecast for the race itself. That means that hybrid punch from the Totas, and in particular the way they can deploy that accelerative force um, through traffic is a hell of an ace card to play. We've seen it happen time and time again in the WEC, and in particular at Le Mans, it is very much an advantage for them to be able to deploy that immediate punch out of the turns. Comes down then to which of those two cars, MP, and I'm a bit of a kind of softy for these things. Mike Conway, uh, Kamui Kobayashi, the fastest man ever around Le Mans, let's not forget, with that astonishing performance in qualifying. And Jose Maria, Pachito Lopez, um, those three have had most of the bad luck in recent years. I think it's about time they had the good luck. Against them, Seb Buemi, uh, Kaz Nakajima, both, of course, double winners. They're on a hat-trick, the pair of them. Joined by Brendan Hartley, who has already got a win and a world championship um, in, in, uh, to his name. In fact, two world championships to his name with Porsche. This will be remarkably what seems like... It, it doesn't seem like a very new driver to Toyota anymore, but this is still his Toyota Le Mans debut. Um, both very, very strong crews, but I would like to see the mists of bad luck clear and let Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi and Pachito Lopez take the crown that they deserve because they have been mighty uh, in the last year or two. And now we haven't got the the politics that came with the genius that was Fernando Alonso. Now the politics have gone. We're going to get down for most of this race to a straight race. Those two Toyotas run clean. It's going to be something to see. And I, I, for me, the quicker of the two this year, uh, this season has been the seven car. I think they deserve the win. Well, there we go. Uh, if we were putting odds on how many from the 
LMP1 category will make it to the finish line. What are your thoughts there? Um, in terms of without delay, two to three, I would say. Um, there is certainly, with only five cars, the prospect of something other than an LMP1 car on the podium. It's not wouldn't be the first time we've seen it. Of course, there was the extraordinary year in 20. Two, those two extraordinary years in 16 when uh, when uh, Kastakajima basically broke down on the line to start the final lap. And in 17, when the um, then really pretty strong uh, uh, hybrid uh, grid fell to pieces, and we ended up with the two Jackie Chan DC Racing Orica uh, 07s completing the overall podium. What an astonishing year that was. And frankly, came within a couple of hours of a P2 car winning that race. So for me, Toto have got to be absolute favourites for it. They're probably absolute favourites for a 1-2. This race, though, they've got to beat the race as well. Um, I hope for good things for Rebellion. I think they deserve it. Let's not forget... Uh, Rebellion Racing, this is either their last race or it's their next to last race. They will leave motorsport at the end of this year. I'm hoping they're going to show up for uh, Grand Finale at Bahrain, but I don't think that's a given, particularly if they have a weak uh, Le Mans. Uh, They've doled out the entertainment too, so I'm hoping for good things for Rebellion. It will need problems for both Toyotas for Rebellion to have a hope of a win. Uh, But I think we can and we should see an all LMP one overall podium, but it's only five cars, isn't it? And if two of them hit each other, they'll then we're going to see something. So why don't we, Graham, stick with the pro-minded categories rather than jump into the pro-am prototypes next? Why don't we go to GTE GTE Pro? <laughs> Give us some thoughts there. Depth that. Uh, we admittedly desire and crave to have here in America and IMSA, but uh, tell me about GTE Pro and what that's going to offer. Well, it's a tale really of what could have been and what has been in the past. We've had well into double figures, of course, in the past with the IMSA uh, Pro cars, the GTLM cars making the trip. We've, of course, lost um, the... Fords, they've gone. The WC lost the BMWs as well. And then much, much more recently, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, decisions from Corvette and from Porsche North America, their cars wouldn't make uh, the trip either. What we're left with is eight cars, but it's not the eight cars you might imagine. There's the six uh, WC cars. Let's come to them in just a short while. There's then two cars from North America, one of which... Very familiar takers for the Le Mans 24 Hours, Giuseppe Ricci and his Ricci Competizione team, the 82 car this year with what will be an all-French lineup. Jules Gounon, uh, another son of a famous father, Jean-Marc, Olivier Plat, who's been fast for as long as I've been covering sports car racing, and some bloke, I don't know if you've heard of him, Sebastien Bald Hayes. I think is what I've heard. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's it. I don't know how you've... One of, I think, three Le Mans-born drivers this year, together with Vincent Capillaire and uh, Julien Canal. So three guys from Le Mans. Sebastian, of course, has got uh, fabulous form at Le Mans, uh, multiple pole sitter uh, back in the day in LMP1, and making another appearance in 
uh, in GTE Pro. I think, frankly, these three will do well to stick with the fully bedded in uh, factory sextet from the WEC. But before we get to them, there's the other one. It's another Ferrari. There are four Ferraris in this uh, this eight. It's the number 63 car from WeatherTech Racing. Uh, yes, WeatherTech Racing from GTD. This time in a GTE car. That car shaken down uh, yesterday at Friorano. Uh, and it's Tony Volander, one of the quickest men uh, in any GT car ever, ever. Jeff Siegel and Cooper McNeil. This coming down, MP, because um, they didn't want to, uh, to go and source a... Uh, second, uh, well, silver or bronze driver. So they've decided to do something which, well, has been done before. And I think I seem to recall, was Cooper involved in the last time this happened, where there was an option. That was where one of the drivers was injured. They had two drivers left, uh, pro speed some years ago, and uh, decided to go for a two-driver squad in uh, GTE Pro. It doesn't happen very often. It's a bold move, um, but... Number one, uh, I think they wanted to keep the, the driver lineup they wanted to keep. Number two is, it's only eight cars. And if things go wrong there, there might be a result there. But you've got to say, 63 car at the moment, uh, on the basis of the driver squad alone, is making a bold move to be anything better than eighth. Um, the Rizzi Competizione the only car. Strong squad, fantastic backroom squad for Rizzi. Uh, but they will do well to beat the... Um, the WEC cars, that's going to depend, of course, on uh, balance of performance and Ferrari have not had the best of that deal lately, which brings us in to the six. It's the two AF course of Ferraris. Uh, regular squads um, are, are being kind of bolstered by Daniel Serra in the 51, but by um, Sam Bird back at AF course in the 71. Uh, the two Porsches with uh, Fred McEvicki joining Jimmy Bruni and Richard, Richard Leitz. Laurence Fanteur, bless him. I don't know if anybody watches Twitter, but uh, Laurence, silly enough to give his phone switched onto Twitter to his uh, young child. And uh, that led to some fun on Twitter yesterday. Uh, joins to complete the threesome in the 92 car. Uh, that's the winning crew course from last year. And then we've got two really interesting additions, MP, to the Aston Martin racing crews. The uh, Dane train joined by Richard Westbrook. And the Alex Lynn and Maxime Martin, number 97, joined by young Harry Tinknell. So two guys that uh, previously were in the forts. In fact, with Olivier Pla, three guys that were originally in the forts. So with Westbrook uh, inserted, does that, does that make it the dumb train now? Is there have to uh, revise the name for that? Any, any chance to have a shot fired at my boy Westy, you know it. Well, do it. Come on. I, I, I think, much as we can look at this and say this is a disappointing number of cars, there has been no respite in WEC from door banging, wheel banging, nudging, rubbing action in uh, GT Pro. And it is going to be exactly the same. Um, the three makes plus the two additional cars. I think we're going to have some great fun with these guys when we get into the race in particular. Uh, GT Pro has delivered. If this class is going down in the next couple of years, it's going to go down kicking and a screaming. And I am looking forward enormously uh, to this. Let's not forget either, by the way, there's WC Championship points up for grabs, and it's double points here. Uh, Aston Martin looking good at the moment, but everybody is going to want to win this race. But there's going to come a point, MP, where they've got to 
look for what points are going to be on the board here for both the manufacturers uh, and the driver's titles. And of course, for the, the factory teams, it's the manufacturer's points that are going to matter. I'm hoping that doesn't bring too much to the party, but it might because they've got to go into that last race in Bahrain in December uh, in with a shot of taking that title. And that, by the way, that last race is, is 150% points. So for two races, we've got three and a half times the normal points still up for grabs. Um, could be a cracker. Who's going to win? Porsche always have something to bring to the game. Ferrari have looked out of sorts, but then tend to bounce back on the big occasions. Aston Martin mm. have looked strong all year. I've got a funny old feeling, you know, that the Dane train with Richard Westbrook uh, could be quite the thing. Well, I think we just said they're all going to win. Is that what we just yes. said? Okay. Yes. Uh, it, we it cars wide across the line. <laughs> I love it. We're not doing a, a 1966 uh, finish where we're based on the physical distance traveled. So, all right. Why don't we, since we are left to the am, 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 am portion of the program, why don't we move to LMP2? Talk to us about LMP2, Graham, knowing that for quite a few years now, it has been the most populous class. Also, not a surprise since the cars are so very similar and the majority of the field has uh, migrated to turn it into a uh, Areca 07 celebration. But nonetheless, this tends to be the most knockdowniest, drag out, fightiest of the classes at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. You might not know all the drivers in the cars super well. You might have to study up a little bit on the lineage of where this guy came from and what feeder series they migrated around and whatnot. But yeah, if you're just looking at a raging 24-hour battle, LMP2 has really delivered the goods in recent years. Should we expect the same in 2020? A hundred percent, I think, is the answer there. So uh, let's look at the differences first. Differences in in the chassis. You're absolutely right. Utterly dominated by Arca chassis. 24 cars, one for every hour of the race. Aww. Uh, <laughs> four of which, uh, let's put it this way, four of which aren't Oracas, I think is the easiest way to do it. There's one Dallara. It's the Settler racing car, the 47, all Italian crude car. Uh, we're going to park that. Uh, that has not been a force this season. I don't expect it to be this uh, this point. Three Oricas, uh, or three uh, Deligiers, rather. Uh, Euro International's number 11 car. Uh, Adrian Tombe is the star there, son of another son of a famous father, Patrick Tombe. But beyond that, two very much gentleman drivers. Let's put that one to one side. Uh, you've then got the Eurasia Motorsport car with Nick Foster and Roberto Merry, both very quick men, but... Uh, uh, Le Mans debutant Nobuya Yamanaka, uh, Japanese factory dry, uh, uh, gentleman driver. And I think Nobuya will struggle to make the cut here. That is going to be an interesting moment for that team. Um, with the Boya on the squad, I don't think they can win. What happens if he doesn't qualify, and I think he's a man that risks that possibility, uh, is going to be an interesting one for them because the two they'd have left – a quite a, a quite a couple, uh, it's got to be said, quite a pairing rather. Um, and then we got the 34 car, the inter-Europol competition car, uh, Polish flag, German run, international crew. Uh, René Binder, 
Kuba Shumovsky and Matej Vosazakian. Um, the very rapid, but ultimately has been accident-prone Russian in his time with S&P Racing, has won races. In fact, was the first man to win a race in a Dallara P2 car uh, back in the day in 2017, I think, at uh, Port Ricard. That car was a lot more competitive in the wet at Paul Ricard and in the dark at Paul Ricard. So at the moment, while you can, you might want to discount the Ligier. If we get poor weather, that could be an interesting prospect that deals with uh, the non Orica chassis car. Then we get to the second variation. That's tires uh, Goodyear um, and Michelin. And we've got five Goodyear uh, tired cars. Uh, Jackie Chan DC Racing and Jota Sport cars uh, from the WEC, the Panis Racing and Algar Pro cars uh, from the ELMS, and the late edition of the G Drive with Algarve car, that's another Orica, um, that comes uh, courtesy of uh, an entry through winning the uh, Asia Le Mans series, but it was a very late addition to the uh, entry, and we're going to have to talk about it because. Uh, it comes with a very convincing driver lineup. So just briefly running through uh, those five Gibson cars, the 16 car, which is the new car to the the entry, that came in weeks after the entry had closed. Ryan Cullen, silver-ranked driver, uh, in his second um, Le Mans, has uh, scored a race win, sorry, no, podium finish, rather, with the Ligier back in the day with United Autosports. But then the two guys joining him, Oliver Jarvis, current IMSA Mazda DPI driver uh, and ex-Audi factory driver, Nick Tandy, 2015 overall winner of the Le Mans 24 Hours for Porsche, overall winner, remember, in the wet in a GT car at Petit Le Mans for Porsche, an all-round fighty bloke uh, whenever he sits at the wheel of anything, has experience in P2, uh, raced with KCMG in the LMS some years ago, um, and that, for me, is a very convincing-looking driving squad. If the Gibson the, the, the uh, Gibson engine stays together, and they always do, if the car is prepared well, and uh, Algar Pro Racing always do, uh, and if the Goodyear tyres are up to the, the uh, up to the task in the changing conditions, and that's a big question, they could really feature. The other Algar Pro car, John Falb, great to see him back. Matt McMurray, of course, once the youngest driver. Ever to start the Le Mans 24 Hours, he's back. Simon Trummer, another driver that IMSA fans will be familiar with. Panis Racing, Julian Canal, the second of our Le Mans guys. Man who won his first three Le Mans races in two different classes, in GT classes. The very rapid Nico Chaman and the very rapid uh, Mathieu Vazavier, another all-French crew there. Panis Racing, um, that could be interesting. And then the two Jota Sport run cars, Jackie Chan DC Racing uh, with Gabby Aubrey. Will Stevens, Hope in Tongue, that's a great trio. And then Roberto Gonzalez joined by uh, 2014 WC World Champion Anthony Davidson and reigning Formula E champion Antonio Felix da Costa. They are two very strong crews indeed. They are the five bullets in uh, Goodyear's gun, which leaves us with the remaining 15 cars, all of which are Orica chassis, although there are two that other other names attached to them, the 26 car, the Aris Zero One, and the 36 car, the Signatech Alpine, and we'll be coming back to talk about that team a little later in this show. 
And just looking down here for some of the highlights. Some of the highlights amongst them. Uh, well, Pablo Montoya, a late addition with Dragon Speed. Uh, and still a man, by the way, that um, if the cartoon anvil fell uh, multiple times from the sky, uh, there's a man who just needs the Le Mans 24 hours to complete his triple crown. And wouldn't that annoy Fernando Alonso? You cannot ignore the WC leading uh, 22 United Autosports car. Felipe Albuquerque needs no introduction on this show. Uh, Paul DiResta, very rapid man, DTM champion, ex-Formula 1 racer, and seems to be very much dialed in now with LMP2. And the incredibly impressive silver driver, Phil Hansen, will move to gold, I'm sure, at the end of this year. But a young man whose talent is shining through and has been well looked after by United Autosports. That is a team that has to be considered very seriously for a win. Um, the G-Drive Racing Squad, Roman Rusinov, a long-time uh, staunch supporter of LMP2. Jean-Eric Verne, another ex-Formula 1 driver and double Formula E champion. Mikkel Jensen, if you don't know that name, young Dane, uh, that's a young man that you're going to be hearing an awful lot more of in sports car racing. Dragon Speed USA, the 27 car. Ben Hanley, Indy 500 starts this year and karting uh, uh, runner-up of the karting world championship and European karting champion. Enric Edmund, the Swedish bronze driver, and Renger van der Zander, another man with lots of big race wins on his uh, CV. It goes on and on and on. And looking down this entry list, I do urge you to do it. There is so much talent. The Racing Team Netherlands 29 car, another car that's had a win. The first car, by the way, to win in the WEC LMP2 class with a bronze driver. That man was Fritz van Erd. He's joined by another ex-Formula 1 driver, Guido van der Gaard, and a man that should be in Formula 1, Nick de Vries, the reigning F2 uh, FIA champion and now Mercedes-Benz Formula E driver. Nick de Vries is going to be a man that will star at this race if the conditions allow him to do that. And down and down and down we go. United Autosport's second car, Willow in from the United States. Alex Brundle needs no introduction. Very rapid young man, son of another famous father. And Job von Utet. Um, that's going to be a name that if he's not in a factory car, but if, LM, if LMDH comes forward and is anything like the success, and we all hope it will be MP, Jan van Utert's name will be on the door of one of those cars in 2023. Uh, that's well worth a look. The unluckiest man in the entire uh, entry, Mark Patterson is part of the 33 uh, squad, alongside a man that will run at the front for a time, Kenta Yamashita, reigning Super GT champion and the current test driver for uh, Tota, alongside, by the way, just appointed Nick de Vries, just mentioned, Mark Patterson. Mark, after many years of, of trying, uh, would have become this year the oldest starter ever at the Le Mans 24 hours. And it's been snatched away from him because Dominic Bestien in GTM uh, has joined the grid at late, uh, late dates and will be 74 years old uh, when he starts the uh, Le Mans 24 hours this year. So poor Mark Patterson has got a long time to wait before he grabs that one. Looking further down here, that 36 car, Pagetas and Alpine, Thomas Laurent, ex-Formula, uh, ex, uh, uh, ex-Tota test driver and ex-Rebellion LMP1 driver. Andre Negrau, a real star uh, from Brazil, and Pierre Rag. That is the car that has won 
this race in LMP2 for the last two years. Um, we've got, uh, who else is here? Uh, the Cool Racing car, the 42 car. Mention this one because they have in their first year in the WEC, this Swiss team, uh, won a race, but particularly because of the name in that car, Nico Lapierre. Four races at Le Mans in LMP2 after his time in uh, the Orica LMP1 squads with Peugeot and with their own chassis and then with uh, uh, with Toyota. And of all four of those occasions, Nicolas Pierre has won the LMP2 race. He is Mr. 100%. Can he do it with this brand new team uh, into LMP2 from Switzerland? Well, Anthony Borger, who shares the car with him, is quick enough. Alexander Kwani, uh, ex-EasyJet pilot, uh, is going to have to be on his A-game. Final one to mention in LMP2 before we get to who we think might be winning this race is the number 50 car, the Richard Mille racing team. And before we go into who is in the car, hard luck, Catherine Legg. I hope you're feeling better, Cat, and I hope you're healing well, and I hope you're going to be back with us soon because Catherine would surely have been anchoring this team before uh, her a huge accident at Port Ricard uh, at the start of the season. Instead, the all-female crew aboard the 50 car uh, backed by the FIA's Women in Motorsports uh, Commission and by Michel Mouton. Uh, Tatiana Calderon from Colombia. Sophia Flersch, the uh, Formula 3 driver from Germany. Yes, the uh, lady that uh, if you watch any kind of motorsport, you'll have seen with the astonishing and horrifying airborne accident in Macau. And Betzger Visser, the uh, runner-up in the W Series uh, last year, this is a brave new world for those three. I, I wish them well. I wish them speed. I wish them safety. I wish them consistency. And let's see how far up the order they can get. What's the next question you're going to ask me? Who's going to win? Yeah, this is the easy one to pick, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, only an idiot couldn't get this one, right? I think we have at least a third and probably approaching half of the teams in this uh, this entry that for substantial parts of this race or indeed for all of this race can run at the front it is one hell of an lmp2 field and my guess is that these lmp2s are causing the non-hybrid lmp1 some real nightmares not because they can challenge them on pace but because the things are ironclad we get so few occasions on which these cars fail uh, so we've got great teams, we've got great drivers, fantastic lineup in LMP2. It's difficult to look beyond uh, the United Autosports guys. They've won is it five or six LMP2 races on the trot now, um, including one win for the 32 car. But uh, it's three wins now in the WEC, two consecutive ones with an astonishing performance from Felipe Albuquerque and Phil Hansen. I'm going to go for the 22 car, but I would not be remotely surprised if they had to fight really hard to get that opportunity with a number of these other cars. LMP2, I think it's come into its own. Um, let's hope the next generation of LMP2 is as well supported and pulls in the kind of quality that we've got here because LMP2 could be the race within the race. It's always the race within the race, and that's the part that makes it not just fun and good and entertaining, Graham, 
but it's what also makes it a challenge. And oh, I, don't yeah. know, I don't know if we do a little interlude here before we get to GTEM, but it's what also makes a challenge, just like we have at the Rolex 24 at Daytona with the GT Daytona class, it's what always makes it the toughest challenge for the directors and producers at the event, bringing the broadcast images to the world to really dive into because we have the pro pro factory type classes lmp1 obviously we know only toyota there is really in true what we would consider proper factory strength standpoint but we have the biggest fastest class which tends to get the most attention then we have the full factory gt class which tends to get a lot of attention the pro-am classes don't always get the love they deserve Yet again, we know for sure LMP2 will be delivering battles in storylines worthy of frontline coverage. Share with folks, Graham is someone who spends many hours in the booth and will be doing so uh, once we get underway with practice and qualifying on Wednesday night through the end of the race. What is it like observing, watching, timing, and scoring? You know you are spotting the amazing, call it, sub battles taking place you can't always be barking back at your producer your coordinating producer to <laughs> beg them to cut the cameras to feature that uh thrilling thrilling fight uh for sixth seventh and eighth place in lmp2 at 3 a.m in the morning though uh, well we do i think it's the honest answer i mean here's the irony so whatever you, your choice of watching um the the Mont 24 hours this year there are going to be remarkably few broadcasters actually on site. We've got a fantastic production crew for the WEC and for the, the Mon 24 Hours uh, under the direction of Olivier Denis. Uh, absolutely marvellous uh, uh, direction uh, from him. And, the, and the, uh, the tape guys, the camera crews are absolutely top-notch. But just to give a window on the world of how that works, they're the principal spotters. They're the experts. They're in the... Uh, in the um, the production gallery for all of this and doing it live. And they're very good at it. But then you've got the, um, the commentating crew. And we have the ability to talk back to what we call the truck, although in this case it's a very large temporary building, uh, and also to our pit lane reporters. And here's the thing. We're going to be the only guys, as far as I'm aware, that are going to be commentating on that race from trackside. Uh, this year, our friends from Eurosports, whilst we will have Toby Moody and Jenny Gow in pit lane live, their uh, commentary team will be based, I believe, in London. And from my understanding, the Radio Le Mans crew will not be on site either uh, this year, and they will be watching the pictures that we're producing. That's going to be their source for what you will see and hear at home. And in terms of bringing those battles, it's a great question, bringing those battles to it. Part of the remit of the commentary team, and in particular, I guess my remit, because I'm the analyst in there, I'm not the lead commentator, Alan McNish, uh, uh, with the uh, with the, the red team as it is for uh, ACO TV, is our colour commentator and the expert, of course. And then in the other room, we've got uh, Ben Constantinurus, uh, Jeremy Campbell-Walter, Peter Dunbreck this year. Part of my job is to spot those emerging battles and let them know because in a very busy race sometimes those things are missed so very often even if you're not joining us uh for the aco tv uh feed 
Uh, and by the way, only nine euros for the week um, for, on the W on the WCLACO app. Quite often, the 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 there is a contribution being made clearly by the production team, but also by that commentary team as well. And that is part of the joy of it is we work hard to try to make that coverage very much better. And I think it shows. It's a straight answer. Well, that sounds awesome. So <laughs> why don't we dive into our final class of prediction, that being the lovely GTEM. And I would say another example, Graham, where we have pretty solid depth uh, of Yo-yo. diversity in vehicle talent behind the steering wheel. I don't, I don't know if it's the least bit easy to predict how this will pan out. Give us your thoughts on what we have in terms of that depth. You might also yep. speak to, I guess this applies to uh, LMP one. Uh, I'm sorry, LMP two as well, but, with many, many withdrawals from the event for a variety of usually COVID-related reasons, we have certainly had what must be among the highest number of reserves giving, uh, being given access to the race proper, and I know that uh, GTEM uh, is certainly a place where that has happened as well. Yeah, it's been it's been very topsy-turvy indeed. You're absolutely right. It's 22 GTM cars this year. Um, that's going to be two Aston Martins. Uh, I think it's eight Porsche 911 RSRs. Remember, these are the old spec screamers uh, with the rear uh, exhaust. The remainder of the cars are the Ferrari 488 GTE Evos, all Evo versions this year. Um, Yeah, it has been topsy-turvy. We've seen cars come in from a variety of uh, sources very late in the day. We've got uh, one team running four cars, Dempsey Proton. Uh, we've got one team running three cars, Team Project One, and sorry, two teams running three cars. Iron Links, which is one of the um, the customer teams for uh, AF Corsa, who are running no fewer than eight in this class, and three others elsewhere on the grid with the two uh, GT Pro Ferraris and the Settilar Delara as well, coming from Marta Ferraris uh, squads. Iron the Links, depth- also my favorite 1980s hair metal band. So Absolutely very fantastic. cool to have them there as well. Hopefully <laughs> the w- their hair won't be catching on fire. Indeed. And by the way, their, uh, their number 85 car, and I have to keep reminding myself it's 85 uh, because they're normally running 83 in the uh, LMS, but uh, that's taken up by a full season WC car. Um, that's the other all-female crude car with Rahel Fry, Michelle Gatting, Manuela Gosner. They've been right in there. Mix in the LMS this uh, this last couple of seasons, you know, a couple of really good um, displays throughout the, the races. I think we're up to three podium finishes now in a field that is not weak, and they came close to a race win at Paul Ricard a few weeks ago, just got the wrong side of a caution period, which took away that opportunity. But f- away from that, the kind of depth, dealing first with the two Aston Martins, they're two very strong squads. There has to be a moment in time where Paul Dallalana cuts a break at Le Mans. Um, one of the nicest guys in sports car racing. He's joined by young Ross Gunn, Aston Martin, uh, factory junior driver. And this year by Augusto Farfus, 
one of the fastest guys in any GT car whenever it's being pedaled anywhere. That's going to be a very interesting one. Of course, now with the uh, the current model of the turbocharged AMG-based Aston Martin uh, Fettled uh, Turbo V8, then there's the number 90 car, which is second in the championship standings at the moment. Uh, that's from TF Sports, remarkable team from the south of England, not very far away from where I'm sitting now, uh, with championship wins all over the place. British GT, multiple times, the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which brought them into uh, the uh, uh, brought them into the uh, GTE stakes uh, in the what was then the Blancpain GT Series in Pro Am, Spa 24 Hours. You name it, they just seem to throw Aston Martins in there and win it. Uh, and they were in with a shot of this world title with uh, the backbone of it being Sally Yolok, um, a Turkish driver, the first ever Turkish driver, by the way, to race at the Mon some few years ago. When Sally started his GT career back then in a McLaren GT3 car, was something of a running joke. Cars were damaged um, often, but something was unlocked mm. with him, Sally once he moved to the Aston Martin mark, and he has been very convincing as a non-professional driver This striving for perfection. He shares the car with uh, the newest addition to the Aston Martin factory uh, slate, Charlie Eastwood, um, Irish flag driver, and Johnny Adam, multiple champion um, in British GT and GTM champion, uh, uh, not sorry, he wasn't GTM champion, GT Pro champion, wasn't he? In that fantastic battle at the end between Corvette and Aston Martin some years ago, that's a great squad too. Both of those squads, I think, will be in with a bit of a punt at this one. Porsche next. One standalone team, Golf Racing, Ben Barker, Andrew Watson, Michael Wainwright. They've been getting better and better and better through this season. But they're up against some real talent elsewhere with some Porsche factory talent thrown in as well. The Team Project One trio, one all-gentleman effort. Uh, it's their third car, but their two full-season cars both warrant a look. Matteo Caroli, a man who really should be by now, a full uh, Porsche factory man that can't be far away. Larry Tenvoud, the... Um, Newly crowned Porsche Super Cup champion, uh, very talented young uh, uh, Dutch driver, Egidio Perfetti, uh, Norwegian Italian, confectionery magnet. That doesn't mean that uh, confectionery is magnetized towards him, it means he makes a lot of it. The Mentos liveried car uh, will be in with a shot, certainly. And then the 57 car, Felipe Fraga from, uh, from uh, Brazil. Jerome Bleekermolen has driven everything quickly and has Le Mans class wins to his name in LMP2, amongst other things, with the Porsche Rari Spider back in the day. And then, for me, and I'd like to hear your view on this one as well, the fastest bronze driver on the planet at the moment, Ben Keating. And he's another man that really does need to cut a break uh, here. Uh, but uh, the 57 car, I think, will be one very much to watch uh, with Team Project One. So, Finally, well, we we sorry. can also mention that there'll be a new sponsor on that car driven by Ben Keating. That will be the Pruitt Goodwin Fuel Bladder Measurement Services. <laughs> uh, so we've we've been brought in there to make sure that yes, there will be no post race disqualifications. And yes, totally agree that 
Ben has just become such a joy to watch perform at levels that no one would expect. Should also mention another is not actually directly sponsored by you and I. This is from dailysportscar.com. You mentioned at the open here this class, the Aston Martin family, Paul Dallalana. Well, oddly, oddly, uh, folks are not very aware of this fact. For just safety among animals in nature, some are aware that deer whistles exist. The high-pitched whistle sometimes attached to cars ensures that deers do not run across the road. The first official, it's a prototype, so it works well at the race. Uh, they could go into production. The DSC bear whistle will actually okay. be mounted to the top of Dalalana's car. Paul, of course, being Canadian, wanting to stave off bear attacks to make sure Absolutely. there's nothing that hinders his run to a, a class victory for the first time. Proud to say, and I know it was your news to break, Graham, proud to say that DailySportsCar.com, the scientists, the many scientists there, Pedro, Lordy, the whole camp, been developing this bear whistle for a while. Proud to say you'll be able to look for that. You're going to have to squint. Very small, very hard to see. But don't stop looking for those 24 hours atop Paul Dallalana's Aston Martin. Bear whistle is going to get him to victory lane. Fantastic stuff. The final Porsche team and the team with four cars, Proton Competition. Uh, They uh, are coming under one car under the Proton Competition banner, three cars under the Dempsey Proton Racing banner. Uh, And of the serious contenders amongst the four, I'm going to mention one simply because there's a bit of emotion attached to it. That's the 78 car. Uh, unlikely to be at the forefront on pace, but features the return after a decade to the race of Hurst Felbermeyer Jr. Uh, he and his father for many years raced alongside Geralt and Christian Reed in the Proton competition uh, early years. Uh, the iconic light blue livery and yellow white livery of their family owned plant eye company. And uh, we lost uh, Hurst Felbermeyer Sr earlier this year and i'm delighted to say that junior is back his son is back and that we will see that 78 car back into that iconic livery that's going to be a wonderful part of this which leaves us with the two before we get to the ferraris the two uh full season uh lineups for dempsey proton racing matt campbell what a fabulous young talent he is from australia with ricardo Perra, italian driver and christian reed uh, extending again his run as the sole remaining last man standing ever present has started every single WC race since the beginning of the championship in 2012. That is a team that has won this before and can win this again. Um, the uh, 88 car uh, with Dominic Bastien, we mentioned him before, the 74-year-old from the United States, French uh, by birth, but uh, naturalized to uh, the US. Thomas Prining, another uh, Porsche Junior, will be aboard that car. And I'm just looking down the list here for the other car. And that is the, uh, although that, that's the three gentlemen uh, drivers of the other car. Ferraris, um, oof, where do we start with this one? AF Corsa, AF Corsa, Giancarlo Fisichella is there. We've got the 55 car that won last time at LMS, Matt Griffin, Aaron Scott, Duncan Cameron. That's a car that could go well. We've got the Paolo Roberti, uh, Sergio Pilazzola, Claudio Schiavone car making a bid for the team with the biggest score in Scrabble. That's a 60-yard Lynx car. Lusic Racing, Osvaldo Negri Jr., 
into the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, with Francesco Pirovinetti uh, and Comledegar. That's a team that could be there and thereabouts. Delighted to say that Jerome W are back with a very different looking crew. Max Roots is a name that you'll know from the United States. Young Magnussen, you've probably never heard of him, uh, but he's Danish and apparently um, he's got a son that does quite well in Is he uh, the guy that's bad at Formula One or is that the older no, guy the who's guy. good at sports cars? He's the guy who's good at sports cars. Okay. So Jan Magnus makes his go is, is way back in, let's not forget, a yellow and black car. Uh, the only yellow and black car with Jan Magnussen that's going to be at um, the uh, in the Le Mans 24 Hours this year, and completing that driver lineup for JMW Motorsport, uh, uh, double ELMS champions of course, and 2017 winners uh, in GTM, Richard Highstand, uh, who is the uh, the IMSA auto entry, courtesy of his successes in the IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship last year. Uh, moving further down the list to complete this run through. Uh, the MR Racing crew handed over their entry to Car Guy, a team from Japan, uh, who were Asia Le Mans Series champions. That's a DSC cat, by the way. She wants her biscuits before she goes to bed. Um, Kei Kosolino, Takeshi Kimura, these uh, guys were with this uh, this squad last year when they made their Le Mans debut, get a late chance to bring the very yellow car back in. Vincent Abril, Monegasque driver, joins them. Uh, Hub Auto Corsa, the current Asia Le Mans Series champions, Tom Blomqvist, son of Stig, and uh, uh, ex-BMW factory driver Marcus Gomez from Brazil, Morris Chen from Taiwan. The uh, next Iron Links car is another strong uh, lineup. Reno Mastronardi, a very, very good bronze driver in that car. Andrea Pacini, Matteo Crassoni. Uh, looking further down, the championship leaders of the WEC GTM squad, Manu Collard, will make his 24th start at the Le Mans 24 Hours, having missed out last year on that being 24 consecutive starts. Nicholas Nielsen, uh, the uh, another new factory driver for the Ferrari ranks, and Francois Perodo had a crack at the... Uh, LMP2 class, didn't find that to his liking. He's back in GTM and loving it. Uh, he is an ex-WC uh, champion at uh, GTM, and it shows. And that brings us to the end of that rundown, and you're going to ask that question. Are you my mother? No. Mate, no, wrong mate. question. I'm sorry. It's not me. Whom? <laughs> whom might be <laughs> the winner? Are you my father? Who might be the winner of GTE Amateur? Well, let's let's do it this way. Who's going to be the strongest Porsche lineup? I think that comes down to the two full-season WEC Team Project 1 cars, the 56 and the 57. And I'm going to go with the 57 car. They've had a degree of bad luck. I think they do some good luck. Ben Keating, Felipe Fraga, Jerome Bleekemolen, and the Aston Martins... TF Sport have had it this year uh, with Johnny Adam, Charlie Eastwood and Sally Yollock. So sadly, Bear Whistle and all, maybe not the 98. And then in the Ferrari ranks, there's a lot of strong squads there. The 55 squad, uh, the Duncan Cameron car. Um, Jan Magnussen could be quick uh, in the 66 car. Of course, he will be quick. The car guy guys will certainly be there, as will the Haborto uh, fellas. But, you know, just yeah, my eyes are light on two cars. The 75 Iron Lynx car, Rino Mastronardi, Matteo Crassoni, and Andrea Pacini. 
but for me, maybe the 83 car. Francois Perodo has a good race. He's got the very rapid Nicholas Nielsen and the super cool Manu Collard uh, to back him up. Uh, between those three, I'm going to say TF Sport. Oh! Oh! oh. Beautiful, oh. Aston Martin. I think TF Sport uh, could do it, and I hope they do because that's a cracking little team. And Tom Ferrier has just done marvels with the cards he's been dealt over the last few years. I think that would be a hell of a fairy tale that it would, by the way, should that happen, complete the pyramid for the ACO. That is a team that came into the ACO family in the first year of the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which at that stage, by the way, was the Michelin GT3 Cup. No LMP3 cars back there. They won the first year of that and have made their way through LMS with success there and WC. Could they take a Le Mans 24-hour win to cap it off? I've been nothing but impressed by TF Sports. So I, that's that's why I gave you the ooh, because I love that call. That's uh, that's why so that's, I ask you the questions, because you give the good responses. So that's the um, that's the kind of quick run-through. You know, with apologies that that's not a three-hour show, but do take a look down, up and down the, the list, because there are a huge number of extraordinarily talented people, uh, not always from the most obvious places, but... Uh, like every year, this year will bring new stars uh, to the history books in the Le Mans 24 Hours. The fact that there won't be people in the stands takes nothing away from the efforts of these guys, pros and dams together, um, will bring to the, to the to the story. And you know, with a couple of interviews I've been doing for this week, talking to people like Phil Hansen, talking to people like Ryan Cullen, and um, uh, one of the big questions there is, you know, it is always about, isn't it, MP? Who's going to come out best from those bronze and silver ranked drivers? Because that's what defines, particularly in the Pro-Am classes, who's going to take away uh, the trophies at the end of this race. Well, speaking of ends, we're at the end of our Le Mans preview. We're going to move into listener questions to close the show. And it seems like all of our listeners want to ask something about Alpine, and by all of our listeners, I should say Daniel Summerskill, who's the official asker, he's the official questioner of the show. Funnily enough, funnily enough, don't have one from him on Alpine, so Daniel, you got to step it up, buddy, right? I mean, you're killing us here. So, right turn lever, our good pal, what was the last, uh, what was the last Alpine to run at Le Mans that started its actual life as an Alpine, so obviously not the rebadged, rebranded LMP2 base. Uh, Mike D'Amour, why did it take Alpine six years to enter the correct class? And why did the ACOWC refuse to take action on their own rule book? Uh, Stephen Gate, with the rumors of Alpine joining LMDH in the not uh, too distant future, uh, do you think it'll definitely be under the Alpine banner, uh, given that's where Renault's headed with uh, its F1 branding? Or do you think they might go for Renault if they were to do LMDH? Also a question whether that's LMDH or LMH. So got a couple more Alpine questions, but why don't we open here with last time we recall a true ground-up Alpine ran, and then some of the timing questions here from Mike, and also class for the future with Stephen. I'm guessing the answer is probably 1978 when they won the race with the A442, was it? 
that was a Renault Alpine. Um, be, before that, of course, we had a variety of kind of road-derived cars uh, on the Alpine brand. It's a fabulous. Uh, well, actually, no. Thinking about it, I think there the was some. Alpine, I think there was. There was a GT car in about '94, wasn't there? Yeah, I think so. Um, also, A three ten. Yeah. Uh, also, questions like these are ones that one can easily wiki answer so if we got that one wrong don't hesitate because i think you could uh get that answer in less than a minute uh mike's question why did it take alpine six years to enter the correct class and so on um hmm. what do you think ram uh well certainly i mean i i've spoken often to philip senior who's the team boss of uh Signatech, who by the way his organization also built both the rally well, sorry, three versions, three racing versions of the A110 uh, Sports Coupe, which is the current Alpine road car offering. They build a rally car version, they build a one-make racer, and they build the GT4 version within Signatech. So they've got a very strong link with that brand. He's been looking for an opportunity to take them to the top class for a long time. And he spotted that opportunity, I think, with Rebellion pulling out should say by the way this is all subject to confirmation i think it's been great work by friends and colleagues at uh, auto ebdo and i've no doubt this is absolutely correct um but yet to be announced but he's been looking for a way into that the 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 really interesting part of this one it's asked by uh just have a quick look here it is asked by somebody here it might be jack jacob bayman rob chalmers what happens after year one? It's a great question because will it be welcomed in as a um, grandfather car until you know, uh, you know, after twenty twenty one? Two or three things I think that are really exciting about this one: the fact that it's Renault and Alpine, famous French make, very important French make, and obviously now um, the sporting brand that's, that's Renault are taking forward with the news that it is indeed going to be the F1, uh, team name. I think that is parking the Renault sports sub brand and putting Alpine to the fore. Um, is it does mean the most likely scenario here is that whatever they do to grandfather this car, it will have to remain competitive because if you're looking to snare Renault and Alpine into, the Mon Hypercar or LMDH, you most certainly don't want to embarrass them by having a one-year program where you've got an uncompetitive car. So that must be, to me, it must increase the chances of us seeing other LMP1 cars come into the grandfathered field next year. And the news that we had from SMP Racing and Spiker that they're coming together, could we? Could we see that car back? Mm. Is that is that possible? Um, you know, the, it, it's an interesting moment here, um, and lots of possibilities come forward from it. I say that without the, the knowledge of any background facts whatsoever about anything that could be in the offing. But I think it's it's number one, it's good news because it's another car on the grid. It will be a single car. Number two, it certainly lays down a challenge in terms of the way in which those cars will be balanced. And it's going to be some balancing task for an LMP1 car with a hypercar next year. Number three is I think anybody's got a LMP1 car under the dust sheets at the moment might well be thinking that could be interesting in a year where if it's a six race um, championship, which we expect it to be, 
the budget's going to be coming right down. Final point, by the way, is a question that was asked um, about this business around uh, why did it take them six years? The reality was there was no real budget to do anything more than than LMP2. They were initially allowed in there because at that stage it was a notional uh, relaunch for the Alpine brand, and they Liberty. were allowed to stay. Uh, allowed to stay in, basically. And do I expect that would have been allowed for as long as it was for a brand like that, were it for nobody other than a French brand? Well, they allowed it for Aris, not quite the same thing. But I'm glad they did. I think it added something. Um, they're not running with any advantages other than the funding they're getting from Alpine. Uh, but you know, Philippe Signo and his crew run a fabulous uh, outfit, and I think that's. A very good thing. What they will do next, is this a sighting mission by Philippe Senior? I've no doubt it is. But it is an interesting point, isn't it, MP? If it's a hypercar that's coming, and it could be, um, and if, by the way, if Orica are involved in this one, and it's an Orica-based car, the Rebellion, Orica told us at um, Daytona this year they were not going to be building a hypercar because they were expecting there to be multiple LMDH customers for their chassis. Um, so if it's a hypercar, either Orica have had to change their mind, or it's not Orica. If it's LMDH, then that's even more interesting, because everybody's expecting that to be 2023. But could there be another chip in the game here? If you were the ACO, and you had Peugeot coming with Le Mans hypercar, and you had... Renault deciding to come, but wanted to come with LMDH. Would you allow them to come a year early with the first LMDH in 2022 to be ready for the centenary race and a battle royal between the two biggest French brands? I think you might. Let's, why don't we move on to another topic here? And we don't really have our usual class, uh, breakdowns in terms of questions and such we're just sure. running through a variety here couple folks michael hetherington richard cooper graham curious about a different sebastian not the uh, sebastian uh-huh. creighton barrel but uh sebastian vettel since he is headed to what will be the aston martin racing point f1 team next year couple folks curious if you think or have heard any indicators that the fine German four-time Formula One world champion will indeed rock up in an Aston Martin something or other next year or in the years to come. I just cannot see Sebastian Vettel being remotely interested in doing a GTE program. I can't see that. I mean, obviously there was the opportunity when the Valkyrie hypercar was a thing that that could have been quite an interesting one, but I cannot see uh, Sebastian and being interested in a GTE program and you know, as we've said before on the show MP, GTE driving is a very specialist skill and very few are good at both the high downforce cars and GTE you've got the likes of Harry Tinkler's done it you've got the likes of Peter Durrani has done it but there's not many that have made a success of both and at a point a transitional point in his F1 career after let's face it what's well, not been an easy year for him uh, I don't think he'd want the distraction. We don't yet know, by the way, what the plans are for Aston Martin going into 2021. So uh, with with regret, because I do like to see 
the very best drivers in the world at the very best racing in the world, um, I think we're unlikely to see Sebastian. Before I forget, by the way, there was one other point I was going to uh, answer about Sadio Tech Alpine, which is, uh, I think it was Jacob uh, asked, did they get it right about their driver predictions? Um, Auto Ebdo and others uh, repeating their story. The answer is possibly, but they certainly jumped the gun. Remember, this coming week at Le Mans is when a lot of meetings happen. There are a lot of cards on the table, and I can tell you that at least one driver has told me my name was in that story, and it shouldn't have been, because I'm still in conversations with others about uh, programs coming up, and that was not helpful. So the answer is they could be correct, but they're not correct yet. Well, there you go. All righty, where are we going to go next? Uh, how about media guidelines? Uh, let's see, got how many? Uh, a couple here. Let's go to Matt Hawkins, our pal Matt, Hockey Hawkins 96. Says, Graham, so with broadcasters giving fans coverage of the Lamont 24, is there a specific time slot you're allowed to be on site to prepare cameras and whatnot for the event? So, what do you know about that since we're all about social distancing and limiting access and exposure and whatnot? Anything they might try to apply to let the broadcasters actually set up the bits needed to put on the race? Uh, well, I mean, bear in mind, a fair amount of the circuit, the permanent circuit, and for that matter, some of the public road areas are permanently wired now. Uh, so some years ago, there was a fairly substantial investment put in to uh, put kind of optical cable uh, in to Le Mans. There are going to be things like camera stands that need to be built. All of that work will be going on from sort of now onwards. There's a lot of barriering that needs to be erected. There's a lot of camera stands, etc. Of course, there'll be less than usual because there's not going to be spectators in the spectator areas. There's a lot of work that otherwise would have been done to protect spectators uh, that won't need to be done this year. But uh, no, the, um, the prep crews will be on site now. Um, and we'll be pulling cable with a vengeance, I've no doubt whatsoever, from um, the early part of this week. Um, we arrive, uh, the comms teams arrive uh, midweek. I'll be in Le Mans on Tuesday evening at the circuit the following day. Um, everybody has had to be COVID tested before we arrive there. We have to bring those results with us. We have to make all sorts of health declarations. There may well be further checks that are required depending on where you've been and who you've been with and what events you've been at and track and trace, et cetera, et cetera. That is now just part of the regularity of coming to cover those races. Um, the full broadcast team will be assembled, I believe, by Wednesday evening. Uh, we will get coverage underway uh, from Thursday afternoon. There's no cameras live, as far as I'm aware, uh, for the first free practice sessions. So any broadcast offering you've got there is going to be done with a timing screen and nothing else, because unless you're looking out of a window, and the only people, as far as I'm aware, that can be looking out to a window are us, um, you're not going to be doing it uh, live from this, the side of the track. So we'll be on every session from there on in. I've uh, just been looking down at my broadcast schedule for that one. Uh, and principal uh, offering will, as always, from uh, ACO TV, be uh, led by Martin Haven, a uh, small Scottish guy who goes by the name of Alan McNish and the only slightly larger British guy. 
um, with the graying hair and the uh, alarming snack uh, appetite, uh, will be sitting at the back with my strategy setup and commentary notes. So we're going to be bringing a lot of storylines to you. I hope we can make this ra- this race live for you as it possibly can be from the comfort of your own homes and i'm hearing some extraordinary things about people preparing you know to camp socially distanced camping in their gardens with their friends and big screens and god knows what um it's going to be a tough one for the media to cover there's going to be very limited access indeed for the very limited number of media that will be on site. Something less than a tenth of the normal number of media will be present. I know some of our friends from the United States have only just heard that they can uh, travel. I was talking to um, the uh, small orange genius that is Regis Lefebure, uh, who only found out, I think, about 24, 36 hours ago that he can finally travel. So Regis will be with us and looking after his usual charge, um, the Rizzi Competizioni team. But it's going to be dozens of reporters and dozens of cameramen, uh, of photographers rather, rather than hundreds. Um, so be kind with your criticism of uh, and the critique of the coverage this year. It's going to be a tough one uh, with a lot of ground to cover and a compressed time uh, frame. There are some very, very long days uh, this year at the 24 hours that I'm on. I'll say this, though. I am beginning to get excited about it. Um, it's been a worry, this one, but I am beginning to get the um, the, the the urge to be there now. Uh, by now, we normally would have been there in normal year. We'd normally travel on a Saturday, uh, arrive Saturday evening and be ready to go down to the square for scrutineering. That happens Wednesday uh, behind closed doors um, and we'll be on track Thursday and pretty much uh, on track throughout from there on in. Lots of new, completely different time frames, completely different timetable and, of course, the new Hyperpole, um, which uh, the... The bit, bit of surprise there for me, MP, was the fact that teams that are going to contest Hyperpole will have uh, two sets of new tyres to use just for that session. They are clearly looking for that to be something of a TV spectacular, and I hope the teams produce the goods. So you're saying I should hold off on getting the full-sleeve arm tattoo of uh, Eurosport LM24? Give him a break. Uh, uh, whatever no, 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 shortcomings no, no. will be amazing. I'm just trying to get Mark Cole to send me a nasty email. The guy just no, he's come lovely. on. I he's like Mark. Love- he is. He is. But, you know, taking the piss is the spirit of our show. <laughs> and if you can't fall in line with the spirit, well, yeah, so, you know me. I think for me that the, 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 there are two gaps I'd like to see filled. Okay? The two gaps are this. I'm bored with geoblocking. You know, and if uh, you know, it, 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 the fact that our North American friends are not able to hear the work that I do is a source of regret for me. Um, the fact that it's geoblocked is is a real shame. Uh, the second thing is, of course, I'd like the ACO TV app, um, and there'll be a further kind of web uh, web offering to support that as well. There'll be more about that in the coming days. Um, I wish that was free to view. It isn't. But I was reminded by someone talking today, I think it's nine euros this year uh, for everything from Thursday afternoon onwards. It's not a lot. 
there's a hell of a lot of TV in that in those in those four days. And if you you have got the opportunity uh, to tune in, please do. I mean, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, I'd love to hear people who've seen both uh, the Eurosport side of things and the ACO TV side of things. I'd like to hear people's views on how that compares. Uh, because, frankly, I think there's only through valid critique and, and constructive criticism that things change for the better. Um, I think we've got a cracking crew. I think it's gelled beautifully over the last two or three years. Uh, we spend a lot of time examining post-race, post-sessions, what we can do to improve the show for you. And uh, I'd like many, many more people to have that opportunity uh, to see the work that we can produce and to see that matches up with some fantastic pictures. Uh, it's going to be colourful. I think it's going to be quick in the early parts of the week. If the uh, if the circuit's in good nick um, and the, the weather's as good as it's, it looks like it's going to be, by the time we get into the kind of qualifying sessions and the later free practice sessions, I think you're going to see some very quick times in all four classes. Uh, but then we get into the race with four hours more darkness this year, remember, and the prediction that we're going to see very much mixed conditions. I think we're going to see something spectacular. Got an idea for us, Mr. Goodwin. I think we should say farewell to this episode. And if time permits at Le Mans, the coming days here, we can try and rope in a few more of the questions that we didn't get to. And also maybe Friday, if that's at all a possibility, talk about how things have gone in practice and qualifying and do a, a real based on evidence of speed, performance, aptitude, or ineptitude, do a little bit of a race primer. So why don't we go ahead and say farewell to the super extra Graham Goodwin preview for the 24 hours of Le Mans here with our week in sports cars little show. And then we're going to try and get back to you towards the end of the week and give you a bit of a tune up. Now, by that time we'll know who's starting where who's done what and who has missed the mark. And that would be a part where you respond and say, it's a great idea, Marshall. We should do that for sure. And I've sat on the button again. So that's a, it is a great uh, idea. Let's let's see what we can do about bringing you subject to the, the usual contingencies of exhaustion and availability of time. Um, a day at Le Mans every day from Thursday onwards, even Wednesday onwards, uh, short and sweet. Uh, for now, though, it is time in this second week in sports cars. Here you go. Two weeks we miss it, and then we do two in two days, MP. Um, to say goodnight from me, Graham Goodwin, from him, Marshall Pruitt, and again with thanks to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, to Bill, Racing Helmets USA, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. This has been the Week in Sports Cars Part 2. 